Good morning, good afternoon, and good night, and happy holidays from the Amateur Otaku Podcast. How's everybody doing out there? As usual, this is one of your hosts, Brandon Alvarado, the Scarlet Fan, and from the other side of the world, with snow presence and no cold today, Doc Isaac. What's up, man? Good to you, sir, and it's all, it's fine, it's Christmas, and it how is- are you? Yes, sir. Christmas, Christmas, Christmas is the season all around the world. And here at the Amateur Otaku, we love talking awesome anime. So thank you for joining us. And we have a great treat for you guys today. Um, We are actually going to be talking about a very particular anime and beloved Christmas film called Tokyo Godfathers. This masterpiece directed by Satoshi Kon from a screenplay for Keiko Nobuboto and Satoshi Kon as well received the Excellence Prize in the 2003 Japan Media Awards um, Arts Festival and won Best Animation Film at the 58th Manichi Film Awards. This um, is a masterpiece. I just had the opportunity of discovering this Christmas movie by Tokyo Godfathers, and I was blown away of how amazing, simple, and beautiful it is. And of course, it's anime. So of course, we have the privilege of covering it on this pod. Isaac, are you excited? Yo, day. And yes, um, awesome, awesome. Um, how long have you been talking to me about this movie, Isaac? Because I know that I think ever since we considered doing the Amateur Otaku, even I think before we had a name, um, we listed all the different animes that we were interested in talking about. And I think from that day, you you, you told me, Brandon, in Christmas, <laughs> we have to do this. Um, talk to me a little bit about this uh, so we can go right to it. Um, what's your story? Yeah. What's your history with Tokyo Godfather's? When did you first hear about it or experience it? Um, what do you remember? Actually, the first time I ever heard about it is from Anime Abandoned when I thought, wait, what is this? And he did a review of it. Anime Abandoned, if you don't know, is the uh, anime reviewer Sage Bennett, which I followed for quite some time. But anyway, nice. and I was just... In it, uh, everything I heard just felt it, it, it felt like a, a movie that I wanted to watch, so I tracked down a copy and well uh, the, uh, the history was made, so to speak and you, well, we can go fur- let's go further from what I think afterwards if you know what I mean Nice, nice. Um, I personally had the opportunity of watching it a, a couple of minutes ago, um, right before recording the pod. Um, it's a nice, it's a perfect Christmas movie. I haven't seen such a fulfilling and good story-driven Christmas movie in a long time. Um, it's set, of course, in Tokyo. Um it is beautiful animation. Um, the story is very simple, but the characters are deep and complex. Um, there's a lot to chew on in terms of the script. Um, I, I this is one of those that's gonna be that's officially even by only seeing it once. Um, it's gonna be one of my favorite Christmas movies of, of all time. Um, it's really hard to find because it, it I um, unless you buy a copy from Amazon that takes. 
I don't know, like two to three weeks or a month to get. The only place you can really watch it is Crackle, um, which is a weird app by Sony that does not work on a PlayStation properly. But that's not what this... <laughs> all the coal to Crackle. Um, <laughs> but that's not so what this wants to So you're going to crack the ice for a Crackle? Isaac? No coals. <laughs> I know, yeah. You know, bad jokes, that's that's what people come for. So, um, let's talk about a little bit about the production before we go into the details of the movie and talk about the movie itself. Let's talk a little bit about um, the director, Satoshi Kon. Um, I, I have not, I did not know that I've seen things that he worked on till after doing research for the movie. So, I was very surprised with the type of people that he has worked with, worked with on this movie, and all the other projects that he has has actually worked on and directed and um i i really cannot believe that if it wasn't for you isaac um as of course you are an anime guru if it wasn't for you telling me about this movie um I, it would have flown right under my radar um this guy has this guy directed the critically acclaimed perfect blue um he directed a paprika which is the movie that uh, Christopher Nolan uh, got inspiration from, or when he did the Inception. Exactly. Um, which, of, because it has to do, um, the premise of Paprika, for those that don't know, um, is, is it follows people, um, doctors practicing a new medical procedure that will treat mental patients by merging dreams and reality, which is, of course, what you see in Inception, people going into dreams and into another dream. And, um, it's so funny, like, great artistic directors like Nolan take a lot of cues from popular anime, and a lot of people do not know, because, like we've always said, the, the reason of the amateur otaku existing is because anime always fall, um, kind of flies below the radars of a lot of geeks and a lot of film lovers, and we just want to bring that anime awareness to the forefront, so... Um, like we said, Perfect Blue, Paprika, he directed the 13-episode um, Paranoia Agent. Um, but even, but what, uh, what amazed me the most, um, Isaac, is that his work on anime goes as far back as Akira. And Akira hey. is like the most, the re the, the, one of the biggest and revolutionary sci-fi films in anime in the last, can we say 30 years or more? Like, that's an understatement. Yeah, yeah, like to the point that Hollywood, whether whether it's good or bad, it doesn't matter at this point because if they're gonna make it, uh, they've been trying. Hollywood has been trying to make an adaptation of of Akira for the longest time because it is such a groundbreaking piece of work. Um, but he was an assistant art director over there, and um, I'm just so 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 amazed by this guy's. Um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? This guy's uh, bragging rights. That's not the right word, but that's what I'm trying to say. Everything that he worked on. Uh, what was that? You're um, thinking of resume? Yeah, his resume is just amazing. Um, what else? Um, there's other people that worked on. Talk to us a little bit about um, the other person there with the screenplay, um, Isaac. What was this other person? Well, have you ever heard of... Uh... A certain move, uh, a certain series called Ghost in the Shell. Uh, Ghost in the Shell. What? Uh, what are you <laughs> talking about? 
Cowboy Bebop. Because the screenwriter... No... I can't speak today. No... The Bomato Keiko. Sorry for botching that. Uh, the screenwriter... The screenwriter from that... Helped... Uh, write the script for this movie and honestly it shows because to some degree when it comes to the script you uh, it feels like something the director of Cowboy Bebop would do rather than the director of Perfect Blue or Papi- Paprika uh, what's the Cowboy Bebop uh, director again uh, Shinichiro Watanabe Shinichiro Watanabe this isn't a, a movie uh, that you would feel uh, that uh, the pr- uh, director of Perfect Blue and uh, Paprika would direct. This is more about Shinjiro Watanabe type of movie in terms of script and feel, actually, which it's makes bad. it which makes this uh, even more impressive, if in my opinion. No, and you're right, especially in in the character interactions. Um, it feels um, like it feels like someone that's dealt with a with an ensemble. Um, because if because this movie is in an, in and of itself an ensemble piece, you know, yeah, which is what Cabo Bebop is. Even though, of course, it's mostly Spike story, but it's Spike story within an ensemble piece, and you have to know how to make it a solo story here and now, but. I, I get what you're saying. I mean, you can see that Keiko, um, all the all the knowledge that she got from that experience with Cabo Bebop, you can see it here, um, and it's for the benefit of the script and the movie. Um, but yeah, um, great people behind, great people with the script, fantastic director, and to my surprise, is apparently I think it's official that we can say that our favorite production company is Madhouse. <laughs> <laughs> because almost all the animes that we've covered um, have had Madhouse's seal of approval or hand in one shape, one way, shape, or form, and this ma- Christmas masterpiece was produced by Madhouse, which is like that's like the cream, the cream of the crop, you know, like the sherry on top. So uh, there's no reason why you shouldn't go the extra mile to to check out Tokyo Godfathers. I mean, the director is the director is amazing, and he brings his awesome view, a sense of humanity, um, and how he projects that to the screen, and in his story. Great script, fantastic production company. Um, it's rolled multiple awards. Um, the last thing I do want to mention is that it is loosely based on a novel by Peter B. Kine called Three Godfathers. That um, I didn't know, actually. Yeah. Um, but I am going to say that I am happy with this being my official version because the fact that it is a beautiful, drawn, and played-out anime just raises everything to 11, as opposed to me seeing a motion picture or reading the novel. So um, I'm really happy this film got made. So let's go ahead and talk about it. You ready, Isaac? Ready to dig in into the beauty that is Tokyo Godfathers? Yep, I am. So I, I have a little bit of resume. Uh, let's do a, I'm going to share the synopsis and then we'll start digging in. Here's a recap. Um, so three homeless people, a middle-aged alcoholic um, guy named Jin, 
that apparently hit, um, ran away from his family. Um, a drag queen in the streets called Hana. And a young girl that ran away from home named Yuki um, lived together in the, in, the, in the park, in one of the parks of Tokyo. And they, while they were looking into the garbage, looking for Christmas presents, they find this baby. This baby that was particularly, that was abandoned by apparently their mother, um, which, it, which they named Kyoko, which is like saying Silent Night or a pure child. So they see this gift um, of, of, a, of a child that was abandoned and they set out on this journey throughout the streets of Tokyo to try and get this child back to the, back to her parents. And it's all that entail, all that they go through, um, how we explore um, the, the life through the eyes of someone that's homeless, um, the reasons of homelessness, how it expands to different varieties. These characters are very complex, and we learn a lot about them in this journey. Um, but it's a journey filled with the idea of being with your family in Christmas, um, spending yeah. time with your family in the holidays, understanding the importance of family and how family and how family love can overcome any transgression or anything or any wound or any hurt. And I don't know, it's an inspiring movie and um, we're yeah. going to dig in on this right now. Um, so when you first saw it, what was your reaction? What was your takeaway? The first, uh, first thing I said was, man, that's a good movie. <laughs> yeah. Right. I can give even go so far to say that this is my favorite Christmas movie of all time. And I wouldn't blame you. And uh, I don't uh, say something like that um, widely and just, oh, this movie, 10 out of 10, and then right. go to the next movie. Oh, this movie, 10 out of 10. Mm-hmm. And this is actually something like you, uh, like you said, something phenomenal or something extra, because, uh, just on the animation alone, but it's the it's the it's the ensemble also that makes this movie so good their, their interaction fits perfectly within each other and mm -hmm. they all have some form of you can uh, they are re relatable to one another mm -hmm. what, what amazes me the most about these characters and I'm talking specifically even though you see this throughout the people that they encounter but it's, it's, of course, more present and more palpable, I think is what I'm looking for, in, the, in our three main cast members, which is um, Miyuki, Jin, and Hana, is that, is that these protagonists feel like real people. They feel like people that have a real story to tell, that have, that have been through what they're saying that they've gone through. That if you were to meet... A homeless person in the streets and they reminded you of Jin or Hana or Miyuki I wouldn't be surprised does that make sense like it doesn't feel like this is not one of those Christmas movies that goes out of its way to be clean and like pristine and perfect you know what I mean yeah. Like, it's not afraid to talk about homelessness as a real situation as a real living condition that people either put themselves through through bad decisions or end up in for different situations. Um, and I like how he, how 
um, I don't know if it was Satoshi's choice or it was the book or whatever, but the choice of these very distant, distinctive characters, they're very different with very different backgrounds. Um, but um, it also, it also, it also, it, but how they come together and how they interact with each other and how they value each other. Um, it, 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 it pretty much illustrates one of the biggest themes of the movie, which is family. You know, it's a movie about how the family that you make, the people that you decide to call your family and, and spend time with, um, with and to go through tough times with, um, that's what really matters. And that's like, dude, that's like the most important thing um, in, 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 in the holidays. Like if you're, if you're looking to what people call the Christmas spirit, you know what I mean? Um, it makes it very simple for you to understand that it, it all comes down to you spending your time with the people that you care about and care about you back. So, 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 so that's one of the things that I love mostly about the movie. Um, and of course their interactions are hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, the Shinera, a certain cowboy director ensemble movie feeling instead of a paprika feeling. Right. So, so let's talk about the characters a little bit. So we got Jin, right? Which, which um, is the broken old man. That um, is a story that we've all heard. Sadly. Um, he always talks about how he lost his family to illness, um, but but in reality, he is the one that lost himself because of his illness, which was gambling and drinking, and he ran away from his family. Um, there's a lot of cases like this where where they live their lives with regret, and um, but at the same time, they try always to do the right thing, which is why, which is which is why it's so interesting how, it how how um, how you can be you can live anywhere you can be the richest person in the world or you can be the person that technically has nothing physically, but there's still always but when it comes to your humanity what what that that duality of even though I know that I've messed up, I still want to do the right thing. Single, simple ideas like that, you can still explore them. And that's what they explore in the case of Jin. Um, this is a guy that um, um, whenever he thinks about his family, all he wants to do is get drunk because he's filled with sadness. But whenever he sees, whenever they encounter the baby, all he wants to do is the right thing to, so that the family that the baby belongs to can be complete. Because he doesn't want other people to go through what he did. So, yeah. so he's he's like he's like the broken hero. Is that the best way I can say it? Yeah, he's like the uh, broken uh, hero of the bunch. But it, that's just the beauty of it because every person, even even though don't uh, we're not self or probably not uh, homeless for some uh, in or have been homeless, hopefully. Uh, the reasons why they are homeless and uh, all that, yes, is still very, dare I say, relatable. Yeah, yeah. Like there, there, there are a lot of like, for example, a lot of people that are homeless. Some there are some people that are homeless because they have no choice. It does happen, but there's a lot of people that are are. 
end up in that state because there's something either psychologically or emotionally that they cannot face or have fear of facing. Like there's there's so many reasons um, that will move poop that will move people to that isolated place. But um, but it's like in the case of him, when you if you if the homelessness or the idea that these characters are homeless. Um, I like how in the movie, it's just in, it's just a way of describing where they live, but it doesn't it doesn't become a distraction towards the fact that these are real people. You know what I mean? Which I think is one of the mo- one of the master strokes of the movie because most of the times, on, on shows or even in real life. When you walk, when you walk in the streets and you see a homeless person, a lot of times what comes through your mind is how did they get to that point? What bad decisions they make or why is he living in the streets or why doesn't he get a job? But we, we don't, we don't take the time to consider that this is a real person. You know what I mean? That this is a real person that is struggling with something real that might just need a hand. Sometimes some people prefer that lifestyle. It's 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 very complex, and a lot of times we simplify it to make ourselves feel better. But I like how this movie doesn't use the idea of homelessness as a crutch to have us have sympathy for the characters, but they but it rather uses the storytelling to allow you to see that this is real people that have real issues. And I ra- it's like the director's trying to tell us, I rather you care of them as people and care for their real people issues as opposed to care about whether they're homeless or not. Which yeah. to me, which to me is a big like applause, which is which which kind of brings the drama very interesting. It's like the homelessness is just a setting as opposed to an adjective to them, you know? Um which is why the characters are so complex. It's like I was listening to a talk um, with Damon Lindelof and and the interviewer, Mark Bernardin, which is someone that I admire is a writer. Um, he he said that he said something very interesting when it comes to story. Um, if you if you make the story simple, the if you make the characters simple um, or the story simple, the the environment can be complex. But if you make the environment or the world simple, then your story and characters can be complex. And I like that they decided to do that. So, which is why we have such great characters. Um, but yeah, so Jin, um, does that make sense, or am I just ratting off? <laughs> yeah, I think you're, you, you talk the right words. Yeah, for once, right now. <laughs> yeah, for once. Okay, don't don't agree with me. <laughs> <laughs> So we got Jin, broken hero, rough it old man. Um, let's talk about Hana, um, the drag queen. Um, we know that she is super funny. He is super funny. Um, we know that he's in the streets because we really don't. There's a lot of mystery left of her. Like I think Hana is the character that we know the least about, especially as the movie concludes. But um, it is the character that we get. It's weird. It's, he's like the he's like the character that we know. Um, we know less of 
but we know more of at the same time. Does that make sense? Yeah. Her ex- because of his experience, her experience with with the drag queen community, um, her love her love story with her lover, and what happened that he accidentally died. After he died, she was she became depressed, which is why she, why they she ended up in the streets. Um, but it's it's she is that that kind of character that is no holds bar as transparent as as anybody can be, which is something that a lot of people that you a lot of times see with members of the LGBT community, which is when, because they have, because they have accepted and they have, they know who they are. They are the most transparent person in a group. You know what I mean? And I like, that's what we see in this character. Um, and, and did I say she's funny? (laughs) Yeah. She is the funniest, 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 um, character there. Um, she's like the moral compass of the group to a degree, or the dreamer of the group. Also, like the person that that even though recognize tries to make the best of their state of living, um, which is also kind of funny how in the in the nucleus of their ensemble or their family, which is composed of Jin, um, Hana, and Miyuki, she's kind of like the mom of the group. <laughs> yeah. Which 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 makes it very interesting, hilarious as well. Um, I just like it funny how how every time um, every time they're gonna make a decision, um, whenever she wins an argument, it's 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 always like, of course, mom always wins or the women always wins, <laughs> and Jin gets angry in that regard. As you're so funny. Um, do you think? Do you think um, there's a relation? Like it's real how they talk about Hana loving Jin as a husband, or do you think it's more of a platonic thing? It's not something that's explored, and it's not something that's important. But I find it interesting, especially with the type of family dynamic that they have. I don't know, actually. Yeah, but I like how it's explored. It's explored in a way, in it's not explored in a way that is supposed to. It's not explored in a way that this respectfully uh, exploits um, Hana's sexual preference. It is explored in a way to explore the family dynamic because it talks about how what their roles within the family are, which to me, it, it, it talks about how your role in the your role in a family is something that will go beyond whatever your sexual preference is. It all has to do with what you bring to the table and how you care for your family members. Which is how I like how this movie talks in all those different layers. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, which makes it so much enjoyable and so much a uh, good character. Um, I like how the little bit of her background that we see is him shoving his shoe in that old man's throat. <laughs> <laughs> like a real drag queen. <laughs> Um, I found that hilarious. Um, and, uh, she apparently has some uh, weird priorities in the word she cannot, uh, she don't accept, if you know what I mean. How do you mean? Well, uh, certain words uh, that I can't uh, say. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I accept you calling me an old, but don't call me this. Yeah, that's that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, 
I like how they explore um, the idea of the drag queen underground community, which is so funny because um, in most cultures or most in most movies that I've seen where there is a drag queen element, um, there's such a welcoming family between themselves, especially because they symbolize the rejects of society, just like the homeless do to a degree, you know. But I like how it highlights the idea of when you find that's another example of family, another another example of people that are rejected by others, but between themselves, they value each other to the point where the the owner of the drag queen restaurant, um, they all call them Okasa. They call them um, mother. So it, it's another way of exploring the theme of family. And I like that we were able to see how in, in the case of Hana, the reason she Act, she's the one that mostly brings the idea of family to degree or wants to bring them together, wants to keep the baby like you get from having like it's going to be her baby um, is because she's also she is the most used to this idea of a surrogate family from the drag queen community. Um, and, and, and she's open and he she is open to the idea of bringing that family together. So um, I like the way it's done. It's done very tastefully and it's done um, good for a good use for um, the storytelling of the, for the storytelling. Um, of course, there is no there is no visit to the drag queen community without putting the most macho of characters in a dress. <laughs> 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 that moment was perfect. <laughs> yeah. Were you expecting that? Yeah, because this is an Anna we are talking about. Right, it needed to happen. But but did you know what's funny though? Like like as soon as that happened, the way their answer to his reaction is Hana, the AKA mother of the group, washing the clothes of the husband, which is which is which is perfect, which is magical. Um, I do. Oh, by the way. The little quiet, silent jokes throughout this movie. Those jokes that you see or hear throughout random secondary characters that you, you see once and you never see again are fantastic, by the way. <laughs> yeah, but like, uh, like, it's, uh, it's Keiko Nomoto that, uh, that written the screenplay, so it's not that hard to, ma- uh, to imagine why they are. You know which was the one that I, I laughed off the most? That really nope. I was not expecting. So you know in the very beginning where um, they go to this nativity um, activity <laughs> in, the, in the local church. Oh. Oh right, right. Yeah. So so the, they're in the they're in the they're in the line and and she's asking for food and they're talking like, Oh, what if I have this baby? <laughs> and then Hana, which we know is a former drag queen, comes comes to co- goes to the to get his food and then they go like Please remember, serve me more because I'm eating for two. <laughs> and then scenes later, she has the baby with him. And the lady that was serving food is going down the escalator and goes like, oh, my. She was eating for two. <laughs> Pure <Yeah>. anime goodness. <laughs> Some subtle yokes. What was that? Some subtle yokes. Yeah, there's a lot of little things like that that just bring a smile to my face. Um, this is definitely a movie that I'm going to be watching very soon. So we talk about Jin, the broken hero. We talk about 
Hana, the loving mother figure. Um, and let's talk about Miyuki, which is like the surrogate daughter of both of them. Um, but Miyuki is another example of a typical homeless person, which is a runaway. Um, what, what are your thoughts about Miyuki? Like every other character, she's well written and she serves a she serves the pers- purpose in her own way, so to speak. Because she wanted more than just one uh, one perspective in terms of homelessness. What I like the most about Miyuki is that even um, she is that 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 typical runaway or that typical child character that you can it's it's trying to be rebellious but you can see how they're yearning for family and not any family they're yearning for their own but um like in the case of Jin which is why like these two characters really kind of resonate with each other especially when they're fighting all the time (laughs) (laughs) um in the case of Miyuki she felt this guilt that feels that and feels that this guilt is bigger than her desire of wanting to be with her family. So, so in a way, she has been she has found this surrogate family in Jin and in Hana, which she appreciates in her own way. But at the same time, she still has this yearning for their own. So, so in this movie, her journey is pretty much appreciating the family, the surrogate family that she has. And building the courage to look for her family again. Um, and it's kind of like... It, it, I do find it kind of interesting and sudden. How her reason for running away is valid. Like, she runs, she runs away because... Um, in an attempt to get her father's attention. Because apparently her father has been very dismissive. Um, has not paid attention to her, has not loved her the way that she probably wants. She accidentally stabs her father in a way. Well, not in a way, actually stabs her father because the family pet goes missing or or something happens to the family pet and she runs away with the guilt that she stabbed her father, which is a big thing. Like there's 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 a particular sense of of dread that a kid feels when he fails their parent. I can only imagine stabbing my parents or something, you know what I mean? Something crazy like that, that I do something to cause them harm. So, so it's like a very relatable, very, it's like a valid reason. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's so, so I like that it was done like this. And then she's like the, one of those many characters that, um, has this, has this, faith and family restored through the movie because even though she wants to see her dad again she also feels betrayed and like her idea of family is reconstructed and healed through the movie through Jin, through Hana through the whole dilemma with the baby Kyoko um, and with the random appearances of her dad which is um, I don't know like she is the one that's most bombarded by these magic Christmas moments and <laughs> um, Especially with her encounter with her rare encounter with her father in the train and then at the end, which um, I was not expecting. I kind of I kind of remembered that her dad worked in law enforcement, but I wasn't expecting her dad to be the one that's going to be working 
in the case of what happened towards the end of the movie, which I don't want to say what it is because I don't want to spoil it. Um, but, but go because, ahead. Because, um, let's face it, there is uh, some moments that is just Christmas uh, miracles, but yeah, still it still fits uh, the movie, so to speak. It, I know that the people uh, that we often could just. Ro- uh, clo- uh, roll our eyes and just oh that happened because uh, yeah. the movie but it fits the uh, the themes and uh, right and settings and all that yes and truth be told I think it how should I put it I think I think uh, Sage uh, said it best this is a movie that you could have um, put in any time of any other time of year. But what makes it special, extremely special, is that, uh, is that you put it in the Christmas because you give it uh, that special feel to it. You get what I'm saying? No, perfectly. And it's and it's and it's interesting that you say it that way because the things that happen kind of do feel like very strange. Co- it feels like a very strange coincidence. But the idea that it happens in Christmas and and the idea of Christmas is something that's very clear throughout the whole movie. It kind of it kind of softens the blow to your expectation of reality. Does that make sense? Yeah, because you know how you have to in certain movies, whenever you see a film or whenever you read a story, there's so there's a degree of suspension of disbelief. You know, this idea that. If this is supposed to be a real story, then certain things won't happen in real life. But depending on the movie, you kind of like when you see a Marvel movie, you forgive those things because there's a certain certain suspicion of disbelief like this. And the good thing about this movie is that this movie doesn't take the audience as a fool. It knows what it is. It knows that it knows that it takes place in Christmas and it kind of tells you, hey, you saw this crazy stuff, yes. Even though this is a very grounded story, you're going to see things that look like Christmas miracles. But hey, it, it, it is a Christmas miracle. Take it as it is. Enjoy it. And they take you for a ride. And none of these moments that feel what we would call Christmas miracles feel out of place. Because the story is so good. And the way how these moments push the story forward in a very in a very satisfying manner is what makes this film worthwhile because like you could take like you could take all those you can take all those all those different um christmas miracles you can take them out of the story and come up with something more grounded and it could still work and it could still work and be a great story, but the idea, like you said, the idea that it takes place on Christmas, that it takes advantage in a good way of the holiday and the ideas surrounding the holiday, it makes the film better. It makes it more delightful to digest. So I'm really happy that they're there, especially the one at the ending, which I won't say what it is. <laughs> yeah. Um, this is a very satisfying flick. What was that? What's your favorite moment in the story and the moment plot? Sorry. Huh. Favorite moment of the story. Ah oh, man, I just like the movie as a whole, but let me think. Um I'm going to say 
Oh man, you caught me. You caught me. Let's do this. How about you start with your first one, with your favorite moment of the film, and then I'll give you mine. Well, I think. Give me a minute to think, man. <laughs> it's a, it's the interaction with a Mexican, um, Mexican woman that could, uh, can't speak a word Japanese, and they can't That's speak. Nice. That is nice. They can't. They can't speak to each other yet. They form a bond with each other, and yes, yes, proves yes. that. Uh, you, you can. Uh, sorry, you're able to uh, uh, make connection even if you have some different backgrounds and mm-hmm. not even understand each other, so to speak. And you know what? It's funny because now that you mentioned that, another thing that's highlighted in that scene is that they're discussing family. Exactly. They're- they're talking about the the importance of those family members that mean a lot to to them to each other, and um, yeah, that is a, that is a fantastic scene. That is a great scene. Um, for me, I think it's I think it's the entire sequence. It's it's a uh, it's in between the entire sequence in the drag queen club and. The final action set piece is a com- it's it's a combination or in between those, and and the reason why I like the final piece is because the way Miyuki um, takes charge at the end, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I like the whole drag queen. Um, club scene or or sequences because that particular set piece and everything that happens there it's it's that's where you see all the members of the ensemble accept their roles within that family does that make sense yeah because on one side apart from whatever Jin made all the wrong decisions Jin made that's at this after Jin is brought back to the fold he accepts his role as the quote-unquote surrogate father and husband to Hana and Miyuki. Hana accepts her role as this person that loves, in a very platonic or familial way, loves Jin and loves Miyuki. Miyuki accepts them as grown-ups that she respects. You know what I mean? And, and they accept the idea of this baby that they're going to give back to their mother. But they accept it as a member of the family too. So it's like... is is this whole idea of family and companionship and it has one of the best interesting jokes that is that is <laughs> that is kind of like sneaked in and if you remember so when they're leaving the track you know how this um this movie artistically has these vignettes of a poem throughout the movie yeah where it gives you the kanji um, describing the scene, like if you're reading a Christmas poem and ca- on the scene, and then the I think the poem kind of reads, uh, "And as I leave my mother's house, I see my mother's white breath or whatever, like someone breathing in the cold." Yeah. And suddenly you see the mother sneezing her head off, and a huge shout and a huge cloud of snot in the wind. <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. That 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 to me was pretty funny, um, but yeah, that's that's my scene. That's 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 my act that I that I that I enjoyed. 
um, because it kind of brings everyone together to then go to that final set piece um, towards the ending. Um, but no, this movie as a whole, I mean, I'm definitely, I definitely am going to purchase this on Blu-ray and I'm going to be sharing this with my, with my wife because it's a, it's a movie that people need to see and it shouldn't be forgotten, which makes me even angrier that the only place that I can see it now is the crackle app, but I'm not talking about that anymore. <laughs> That's a crackle. Uh, you always like to push buttons, don't you? Exactly. Okay, cool. As long as we agree. <laughs> um, so, I think without spoiling anything in, in detail, um, there's a great Christmas movie that explores themes of family, um, themes of guilt, themes of forgiveness. It's a fantastic family movie. Um, apart from some very typical nudity scenes that really have to do with the babies they're not released in any they're, the nudity in this movie has nothing to do of a, with a sexual nature um, this is a very family good film like you can have maybe a 10 12 year old see this and actually get it um, because I don't think it's I don't think it's like I don't I wouldn't say it's an M rated movie maybe a PG-13 if you were to rate it right Mm, yeah, I think that's a rating. Yeah, it's a good rating. Um, so it's a movie that you could share with your family, um, and they would enjoy, and they could see um, a fantastic Christmas anime flick. Um, now, if I were to rate it, this is definitely a a plus for me. It's definitely an A plus, and it's not because it's Madhouse. <laughs> it is just A plus material. Um, Will you say a plus as well, good sir? The, be- uh, the, the best uh, Christmas I've ever seen, so. A plus it is. So here at the Amateur Otaku, we give the critical masterpiece, Tokyo Godfathers, directed by Satoshi Kon and written by Keiko Nobumoto and Satoshi Kon himself, produced by Madhouse. We give Tokyo Godfathers an A plus rating. It is the Christmas movie for years to come, for decades to come, and you should definitely add this movie to your collection. We are very confident to say here at the Amateur Otaku that you shouldn't bother renting this movie. Buy it. It is definitely worth your 25 bucks to get a Blu-ray on Amazon. Um, and if you get it after Christmas, still watch it because it's a fantastic movie and you'll be ready and you'll have it for a rewatch when Christmas comes along next year. That's all I got. Isaac, anything else you want to add before we put a clip on this? No. And we promise we will uh, find uh, some animes that that is not Madhouse. We promise. (laughs) Now, um, we'll promise someday because... (laughs) I can't promise right now because I was looking into one of the co- one of the ones that we're going to cover soon is Helsing, and even though Madhouse didn't produce Helsing as a whole, some of the episodes were produced by Madhouse. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I guess we can't escape it. <laughs> so um, here at the Amateur Taku, we love talking anime. Um, we love talking about other animes throughout other different seasons of the year. So whatever animes you guys want us to cover in this pod, whether it's a Christmas anime, whether it's spring, summer, Halloween, um, fall, I'm forgetting the seasons. Um, whatever anime you want us to cover, please send us an email 
amateurotakurtf at gmail.com. That is amateurotakurtf at gmail.com. Or come look for us at Twitter at amateurotakurtf. That is at amateurotakurtf. Um, we always post whenever we're recording. We'll post the pods there so you can subscribe. If you're an Apple podcast, give us a five-star review if you like what we're doing here. And um, Isaac, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter as uh, Emblemania with a C. And you can find me at the Scarlet Fan 52 That is at at, that is the Scarlet Fan 52 on Twitter. And you can find me and Isaac's writings and reviews at revengeofthefans.com, the best place for all things geek, where you also find um, the Fanboy Podcast by Mary Francisco Lobeles, um, the Fanboy Garage, Hops and Box Off at Flops. We have great Greek geek content, and the amateur attacker is proud to be part of the RTF family. So, till next time, Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays, bro. Peace. Happy Easter. You had to do that, didn't you? Yep. Happy Easter. <laughs> <laughs>